You're listening to the Irish Times. Welcome to the At a Time podcast. We've given Maliki Clerken some time off to celebrate Monaghan reaching the Super 8s. I'm Pat Nugent filling in and I'm joined by Mary Hannigan in the studio. How are Hiya, you, Mary? Pat. He's a right slacker, that fella, isn't he? He does take it very easy, especially during the summer. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. How are you enjoying the drought? It's, it's quite dry, isn't it? It is. In my garden, which is luckily tiny because um, it looks like the Sahara and you wouldn't want acres and acres of Sahara out your back window. But yeah, looking a touch parched. I went down to Tipperary at the weekend and it is also looking quite parched. I went home for the weekend and I, I, I saw an interesting development that I'm, I'll share with you. My, uh, I was watching the World Cup with my nieces and nephews mm-hmm. and they're all, or some of them are of the age where it'll clearly be like a formative experience in their lives. You know, <laughs> there's uh, the nine-year-old literally can tell you facts uh, galore about <laughs> every player in the tournament. It's fantastic. But um, while we were there, uh, one of my nephews had a bit of, in GA parlance, we'd say that he had an altercation with right. a dog. A shamazzle. A shamazzle okay. with the dog. And uh, there were some tears. <gasps> and uh, so he uh, was being comforted by his mum. Mm. And uh, the tears were being wiped away and the scrapes were being kissed. But after a little while, she decided that he was possibly milking this a little <laughs> bit. And uh, she has said to him, right, come on now. You're being a bit of a Neymar here. <laughs> and I just thought, what? Brand damage I know, he has done to himself in the space absolutely. of this World Cup. And have you seen all the videos uh, like from just here and all over the world? Kids, you know, maybe 20 of them, like a football club. And like, you know, on the sound doing that Neymar and like they all, like the field is full of these kids rolling around. He's destroyed. I think like I saw an really FAI is. video or was they, it like a coaching camp? They tweeted one as well. Yeah. Exactly. There were ones like all over the world. This is what kids are doing for the laugh. So, yeah, I can't imagine his sponsors are mad chuffed w- he, with all of this. Because he must have been expecting to come out of this World Cup I, being a global superstar. Know, and everybody kind of buying jerseys. And now that he's become a punchline. Yes, he's just a laughing stock, really. Yeah. And that his name will now become a verb yeah. for just acting the maggot. It's not good. No, it's not good. <laughs> oh, and we were trying to come up with, uh, I was telling this to our producer Declan here earlier, and he commented on, you know, things becoming verbs or adjectives or or whatever. And he said that uh, when the Uruguayan goalkeeper, was the Griezmann's shot that he sort of oh. parried and left through him? Yeah. And uh, somebody said, oh, he did a carious. <laughs> These things can really catch on. <laughs> Though Stephen Alkin um, cited Packy Bonner's hiccup that time. In, uh, Ooh, that's, so that's Jim Beglin leapt in fairly quickly and corrected that to a carious because he felt that was a bit, bit harsh on Packy to be dredging that up again. But yeah, carious, that, that's kind of the poor fella. Did you see him in tra- playing a friendly for Liverpool the other day? Carries, no? Yeah. And there's a guy before, as they're warming up, there's a guy in the touchline. He's doing a little intro for the match, little video. And in the background, you can see Carrius is warming up. Their fella's taking shots. And in the background, ball comes to Carrius, slips through his fingers, through his legs and into the goal. <laughs> so... He's, he ha- hasn't learned any lessons. Really. Oh, no. <laughs> and the video happened to be running at that moment. Did anybody check if he was concussed though, when it <laughs> happened? 
That's the question. Mm. Poor lad. Poor Carius. It's going to stick with him. And it's going to stick with Neymar. But I've no sympathy for <laughs> no, him. No. Uh, I'm, I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> Me too. Um, right. Uh, we have lots to cover on the show today. Later on, we're going to be talking to Sean Morn about the Leinster hurling final. Eno Reardon is going to be on to tell us about Ireland's success in the European Under-18 Athletics Championships and put to put that in context for us. But first, we're joined on the line by our soccer correspondent, Emmett Malone from Kazan in Russia. Emmett, how is Kazan treating you? Yeah, Kazan's treating me okay. Uh, I've, I've had, I'm, I'm leaving today. It'll be uh, my, my final time leaving it for, for the foreseeable future. I've had, um, oh, between, in three different stints, I've had kind of 12 days here. So that's, um, that's basically a third of my World Cup. One of the, uh, one of the things in planning this whole trip this time, uh, you know, we, when we sat down and talked about it, was to try and spend a little bit more time in places rather than chasing games around the place, try and get a little bit more of a feel for places. And, and there's a randomness, like there's a look, an element of luck about what turns out to be the great games. Uh, so you can, you can travel you know, frantically because something looks promising and then it turns out to be really dull and nothing is hanging on it when you expect it. It might be a group decider. And so, we, 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 you know, certainly my planning was to sort of sit tight a little bit. I've sat tight in Kazan. I've been extraordinarily lucky with the games here. Germany going out to South Korea, France against Argentina, Brazil going out to Belgium. Really, really great games to be at. And uh, and the city's been lovely. So, um, yeah, no, it's been a very positive experience, but looking forward to the rest of it now. I saw Jonathan Wilson actually mentioned uh, at some point that Kazan has seen Germany, Argentina and Brazil fall 11 world titles between them. Uh, you, saw, yeah. you saw Belgium take down Brazil. They were super uh, impressive, weren't they, against Brazil? Like they, And Roberto Martinez kind of amuses me because he's a guy who got a lot of sneering when he was at Wigan and Everton. But he completely well, retuned well, I don't his think team. I, 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 yeah, sorry, go on, yeah. What, what were you going to say? You don't think that he got too much yeah, sneering? No, I, I think he came out of Wigan quite well, although the, the tail end of the very team, when they, when they were relegated, uh, I mean, they, I think they lost their last game 4-3 or something like that to go down, which um, probably wasn't, you know, said something about him and his style of football and, you know, and, and, and people thought, you know, what he needs to do here is dig in and get a draw or something like that to stay up. And uh, certainly at Everton, his, you know, he got the Everton job because he still managed to come out of... Uh, of of Wigan, and I think was he at Swansea for a spell as well, with with, with quite a lot of credibility. Um, but but at Everton, I think you know the fans tired of him, and um, and the, the results were very poor towards the end. And yet he has this; he's very likable, and he's very articulate, and uh, and very engaging. Um, and so that that stood to him for a while. But as as the results were re- relentlessly um, negative, and he was kind of relentlessly upbeat about them, and you know positive about how the situation was going to turn around, people became deeply frustrated with him. And so he did, I think, in certain quarters, become a little bit of a figure of fun, and and you know, and the fans turned against him, and you know, um, and so it's it's interesting now. The Belgians came here again. The press liked him, but they really didn't know whether he was a good manager. And when they talked to the press in England about him, their colleagues there, um, the kind of feedback was, I think by that stage, generally negative. So it was an interesting thing. They came here, they liked the manager, but they didn't know whether he was a good manager. And um, and and even through the group stages, I mean, they, they you know, they didn't really fire in all cylinders. They beat England um, uh, with a reserve team against a reserve team. It was still kind of in the balance. And you talk about how great they were against Brazil. I have to say, I mean, I seem to be in a minority one in this and that I think that um that they allowed Brazil enough chances to certainly, you know, push that game into extra time, quite possibly to beat them. Uh, I thought Brazil had chances that a Brazilian team with the attacking talent they have should have scored. Um, and so I think, you know, and I, I, I completely admit by if that, you know, from reading other people's takes on it, that uh, that I'm in a minority, that um, 
that that Brazil have to take a, a large chunk of the blame for their own exit. Um, while clearly, um, while clearly Belgium did do well in 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 in, in certain respects, and and tactically, I thought Martinez did get it get it right. Um, the return, uh, uh, Lukaku, I think it was, had talked uh, the day before about the fact that they would. Uh, uh, they would. They would. He really kind of. Well, I certainly think we had taken it to suggest. Maybe in hindsight, he wasn't suggesting it at all. He had talked about the the four-man Brazilian defence and how three of them uh, were very experienced and uh, one of them wasn't. And they would attack. You know, they, that they had rehearsed to attack in a particular way to exploit this weakness. So actually, I don't think there was any way to take it other than they were going to try and exploit Fagner's uh, inexperience. But in fact, what they did was was uh, exploit the fact that Marcelo just pushed forward all the time. There was constantly space there, and 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 Lukaku, who was ostensibly the uh, the, the the central striker, played out there. And um, and every time it seemed uh, that Belgium pushed forward, there was a load of space up there in that right hand corner of of, of their attack. Uh, and Lukaku was there, and uh, Azard and and De Bruyne picked him out time after time after time. And Lukaku was being hailed as having a great game, and again, I'm in a minority of one because. All I can see in my head is um, is his his first or second touch has been poor and uh, and a whole bunch of chances for uh, for for Belgium to really comprehensively kill the game off um, sort of passing him by. But uh, but there you go. That's the way these things are. It's interesting though, Emma, because I mean Lukaku is being kind of hailed as you know probably maybe even above Hazard and De Bruyne contribution wise. But you you kind of feel that that's kind of overdone, do you? Well, I do. I, do you know what? I, I've seen a couple of their games, and uh, and he and he hasn't been outstanding for me. Um, mm. uh, but particularly in that game, I, I mean, it was interesting. We were kind of had a very long bus journey with a with a with a bunch of English journalists down to Samara on uh, on uh, the morning after the game, and uh, we were talking about this and. Um, and kind of, you know, people were kind of conceding some ground on the issue because generally he was, you know, the universal opinion, almost universal opinion. I there was everybody else and me um, <laughs> felt that he'd done brilliantly, and it could be that I just I, I called it wrong. I'm not sure, you know. Um, but but uh, you know, as I looked at it, I, I thought that uh, that he had chances to score, and that's what you would expect him to do in some of those situations. And um, on three or four occasions, he simply his touches weren't good enough. And he would run out of space, or he would try to do something to, to to tee up a shot that didn't quite come off. And and they were they 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 were the enduring kind of uh, images for me because that's that's kind of I, I presume what was this was all teed up to do. They felt there would be space for him there. They pushed him out to the right. They fed him a, you know a lot of very high quality ball. He he did very well to fulfil that role. He repeatedly got into those positions which were very promising, um, but he couldn't finish them. And that really I guess you know is is what you would expect him to be good at. Um, I thought the you know Azard was was terrific in the game uh, late on in particular when when they were looking to relieve the pressure and he does what he does best, which is, you know, well, you know, I mean, obviously he's a tr- tremendous passer of the ball, but there you had him just trying to stay on the ball to, to take up time, to frustrate defenders, to, you know, frustrate um, uh, Brazilians as they try to win the ball back and pick up free kicks that broke up their attacking play. And De Bruyne had been absolutely outstanding in the first half, you know, his movement, his passing, all, everything you'd expect from him. And of course the goal. So, um, yeah, no. For me, for me, certainly the the pair of them uh, came out of that game uh, better. But I, I think uh, what people were 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 particularly uh, and and this was the way the debate went with the lads in the bus was that they 
they stuck to their ground on 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 Lukaku um, in the first half, being being really terrific, and so mm. so maybe you know, look, maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I'm not really sure. I'd have to. I haven't had a, had the opportunity to really see much of the game back again. So uh, sometimes these things happen. The other thing that happens is that the reality of these uh, the the logistics of doing uh, night games these days is that you see um, you see more of the first half. Right. You, uh, you it's a little bit more considered. So you know, I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, for me, I mean, he scored a few goals. here. I think it's four he's on and. Um, um, he's having, uh, I, I think, in, in that sort of context, a good tournament. There are still, uh, there's still at least one very big game for him to come. And 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 um, and if he if they win this tournament, uh, he will have played a, a gigantic role in that overall. But but in, you know, in that game, I, I, I don't know. For me, yeah, absolutely, the two midfielders were more important. It'll be interesting, Emmett, to see how positive uh, Belgium approached the game against France, because France would be more than delighted to have Belgium push on at them. I'd imagine. They love having space to run into with for Mbappe and Griezmann. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I'd seen France against Peru, and um, is it Peru? I'm, I'm getting mixed up about who, who's in whose group there with Panama. Uh, was it? Uh, it was Panama, was it? Uh, no, it was Peru. Um, so the Belgians we saw against Panama. Um, uh, yeah, and um, and in the first half. Uh, um, uh, they, they, you know, France um, did sit back and, and, and absorb some pressure. And, and, and or, sorry, sorry, I had that the wrong way around. In the first half, they uh, they they kind of took the game. They opened up some space and looked like they were really so going to click. But in the second half, they found themselves under uh, under a fair bit of pressure, and um, and it was a more difficult game for them than you would have expected. Uh, but the feeling was that uh, as they progressed in the tournament and teams came out and played against them, and in particular, this was kind of applied to Argentina. That Argentina were a, 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 a team that uh, would want to you know um, possess the ball, would want to use it, would want to press forward, want to pressure opponents. And uh, and France would 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 love that, and that it would leave space uh, in behind the the defence, and um, and Mbappe's pace and Griezmann's uh, you know movement on the ball would, uh, would 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 pay dividends, and that's exactly how it how it turned out. Uh, through the first half, they repeatedly opened um, up uh, the Argentinians with balls over the top for uh, or through or through the middle for uh, for Mbappe to run onto. Um, and uh, and in the second half, they scored a terrific goal on the break. Um, uh, which, which also kind of, you know, again was came as as Argentina were, were, were a little kind of overcommitted. Um, uh, so yeah, I think they will see that as a, as an opportunity. I think there's kind of other aspects to it where we were still waiting to see whether the, the you know, so far the French fullbacks who are very young, very inexperienced. This first World Cup, either of them barely into kind of double figures in terms of caps, and yet they've done so well so far at this tournament. But whether um, whether perhaps uh, the the uh, Belgians will see them as, as as potential weaknesses to 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 exploit and and again you know a lot will come down to how uh, Martinez kind of looks to approach the game but certainly so far tactically you know he's he's coming out of it well. Right, Emmett. Let's pull the bandaid and just go ahead and talk about this. Is football <laughs> is football coming home? Oh yeah, I don't know. <laughs> At this point, at this point, you should picture a man with a kind of cigarette in one hand and a bottle of scotch (laughs) in in, in the other, um, and a a revolver sitting close by on (laughs) on the desk. Um, Yeah, I don't know. You know what? I I I I was I was talking to somebody last week, and 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 they were talking about how likable this team is, and how you know that might change things from a from you know an Irish perspective to some extent. Um, 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 50. So like, obviously, obviously I'm hoping this doesn't happen. My kids are, my kids are in their teens and they're utterly bewildered by my attitude and everybody else's attitude. And, I, and I'm thrilled about that. I think that's wonderful, but I can't I still, I'm still not, I haven't matured enough to uh, shake my attitude, you know? So, um, so look, yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of hoping it doesn't happen. I think that, um, uh, you know, <laughs> I traveled with seven, seven English lads the other day and, uh, and um, and they're all kind of hoping, you know, desperately hoping that England win the World Cup. And I, and I, and 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 I, it would be nice for so many people, so many friends of mine who are English. Uh, I, I read Ken's piece and and Keith's pieces on uh, on Saturday in the paper, and and I can relate to so much of what they were saying in different ways. Um, I lived in England. I you know I worked in England for a while. Some of my best friends are English. Uh, it was and, sounding uh, that way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet I and yet I just I I may not come home from the final if they if they win the thing. I certainly won't be able to turn on the BBC for at least a fifteen year period. Um, oh yeah, I do. But are they going to? I don't know. I don't think the situation has substantially changed. I think that. Um, I, I, I was kind of writing last week about this, that, that the fact that England, you know, I, I'm impressive. Like Gareth Southgate, there's no doubt you have to be impressed by what Gareth Southgate has, has done, the way he handles himself, the way he carries himself, the way he deals with the press. Um, and, and apparently, from what we can see, the way he deals with his players. And so, I, you know, I think he, what he has done has been hugely to be admired. Um, uh, Saturday was the first time I'd seen them in the flesh. And the other times that they played, to be honest, things are kind of awkward over here. Like the, the, the distances between cities are huge, but the cities themselves are big. And I got caught a couple of times in traveling uh, from stadiums to stadiums, whatever, and hadn't seen one of their games in their entirety. So Saturday was really the first time I've, 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 I've had to, to, to judge them. And I thought they were pretty impressive. Um, they, they handled the situation well. They won the game very well. But it was against a Swedish team that really had run out of steam. I'd seen them uh, previously against Switzerland, and they were much better against them, probably possibly because Switzerland weren't such a good team, although they were ranked higher than England in the world. Um, but, you know, I, st- I still don't know what this English, how this English team is going to stand up to the challenge of playing a genuinely good side that is playing well. Uh, Sweden ran out of ideas. They were sluggish. They lacked the tempo or intensity to really test them. The English back three stood up very well. Uh, Sterling was was pretty lively, despite the fact that he missed a couple of chances to uh, to actually score. Uh, Jordan Henderson was really impressive, I thought, sitting in front of the back four. There's a lot of positives about this team. Um, if they win the World Cup, will they be great World Cup winners? No, I don't think so. I don't think they're a team of that sort of caliber at all. But, you know, I don't think anyone in England is going to worry too much about that right now. And certainly, you know, as things stand, I mean, Croatia haven't set the world on fire in the knockout stages. They were pretty good in the group stages. But, um, but you know, England will go into that game certainly feeling that they're in with a very good shot of winning it. And then France or um, France or, or Belgium in the final. Well, you know, look at the very least anybody anybody going into a single game to win a world a world title would uh, would take that. You know, it's uh, anything can happen in ninety minutes sort of stuff. But uh, but they you know they they clearly have a bit about them. And uh, and certainly you know we talk uh, all the time about the kind of team spirit and uh, you know that 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 managers are you know manage to generate or the groups manage to generate amongst themselves. And they certainly seem to have a bit of that about them. They 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 come across as relaxed. They they're isn't the kind of sense of fear that perhaps previous English teams um, uh, suffered from. They're probably at a stage now where it really, you know, doesn't matter. They've, they've exceeded expectations and they're, they're kind of on a, 
on a on a crack at a World Cup to nothing. So um, yeah, God, it's um, it's it's basically a terrifying situation. You're grand, Emmett. It's fine. You can drink the scotch. Just stay away from the revolver. And uh, <laughs> for the moment, for, for the, the moment, moment <laughs> uh, you're fine. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week. Thanks a million, Emmett. Uh, enjoy the Cheers. enjoy the semi-finals. Emmett Malone there in Kazan. Mary Hannigan has been watching the World Cup from her couch for her very funny TV column in the Irish Times. Mary, I've I realised over the weekend that I had been very open-minded about England up until this point. Okay. But then I saw the footage of the fans in Ikea. Oh, yeah. And I decided, okay, that's my tipping point. Now I want England to lose. I'm, I'm very immature, I think. Mm, well, it was an unpleasant video, mm. it has to be said. Although I think we've all been tempted maybe at times to do something similar to Ikea. <laughs> Um, I have a chest of drawers at home that I built myself. It looks like starfish after I finished building it. And I have 36 leftover screws. So it, That's a lot of leftover screws. Maybe it wasn't a football-related riot. Maybe they were people who had bought chest of drawers that now look like starfish. So we, we could look at it that way. That is true. But it wasn't pleasant. And also the Dorset police, I noticed, um, tweeted out a thank you to all quote, lovely football fans for their good behaviour after the Japan, not Japan, Sweden win. And um, apart from, they said, the idiots who just went out to get drunk and shouted abuse at a police dog for being German. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that is, that, that's making you go Croatia's way, is it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Being angry towards German shepherds, like. That, that does seem to be stretching it a little bit. I don't think there's very many Croatian stereotypes that they, they no. can pick on, is there? I don't think so, Having really. Having said that, if they end up meeting the French yeah, uh, in the be, final... Yeah. Or the Belgians, that they, they'll go to town. They'll have... Um, There'll yeah. be a lot of chocolates and waffles talk then. But I think they'd <laughs> kind of wring more out of the... Out of the French. I think so. I think so. So I noticed um, ABE, anyone but England, has been trending on Twitter, sadly, of course, which is all very confusing for people trying to follow news about the Japanese prime minister because he uses the, or it's the same hashtag. So in the middle of like his travel kind of plans and stuff, there are like references to 800 years of oppression and the famine and stuff like that. He so must be wondering what he's done. He must really be wondering. <laughs> yeah. To check in with his foreign ministers to see what the <laughs> hell they were up to. But you're kind of, mm, you're not getting into the, the, the you don't have a waistcoat ready to no. put on for the semi-final. But right? I was completely, I'm, I, I do, I get the thing that they're likable and I didn't want Gareth Southgate to be embarrassed. <laughs> So I was quite happy when they got out of the group stage. But when, as soon as Spain lost to Russia, you did suddenly look at that side of the draw and go, oh, I know. hang on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then once once the rumour or the hype mill, I mean, starts mm. kind of cranking up, I do just find myself going, actually, no, I find I can't be listening to this. And also, I think it was Ken Early in The Times wrote an excellent piece about how yeah. it's fine. Don't don't, don't worry know. about it. <laughs> don't you know, apologise yeah, for wanting to make You're allowed dislike the idea of your neighbours yeah. being successful. Yeah. Uh, who was it that had that famous quote about, it's not enough that I succeed, it's that others must oh, fail. Yes. Like, uh, that that's a great quote. And I, yeah. and I get it. When it comes to your neighbours, people do kind of tend to feel that way. And you see, I think a lot of people are claiming that they're wishing England well. Like my neighbours, for example, along my road, mm -hmm. many a discussion has been held over at the garden hedge the last couple of weeks. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, you know, Southgate, lovely fella, seems grand fella. Players seem decent fellas. Yeah, we're going to, first time ever, we're going to wish England well. 
So then it comes to the Columbia game. Now, obviously, every house along my road, every window is open, so all sorts can be heard. And when Columbia got their equaliser in the 900th minute, there was a Mexican wave of roars along my road. Not just kind of cheering, but kind of laughy hooting at England's misery. Laughing these, hooting is exactly what it was. That's it. Yeah. So these are all the neighbours who told me, yes, yes, we're going to be mature about it this time. We're rooting for England. And here we go. I think it's a bit like the weather. You know, we're all saying we love it. But secretly, we, we're just yearning for a bucket load of rain, I think. Yeah, it's true. I think that the Irish temperament is best suited to a light drizzle. <laughs> we don't really want this this ridiculous yeah. sunshine that this we're getting. This has been torrential moment. success for England, hasn't it? <laughs> That's exactly it. And I should note that when England won the penalty shootout, there was silence of the stony kind on my road. So when these people are telling me we're rooting for England, I'm like, no, you're not. And it comes to it. What usually helps, though, at this time is that the pundits on different channels kind of, well, and when I say different channels, on the English channels, mm. they tend to drive you away from any idea of supporting England. But you were saying yeah. that's not really overly been the case? I thought they were fairly restrained after uh, beating Sweden. I mean, giddy, understandably, wouldn't we be? Um, I, oh, I we'd saw, have lost the run of ourselves completely. We would, and, yeah. and we would reserve the yeah. right to do that if we ever get to a World Cup <laughs> semi-final. I know. But I, I, it kind of struck me that it, they were all thinking, good Lord, we might actually do this. And that was making them a little nervous now. Whereas I think before all the football's coming home stuff was a bit of a joke. But now I think they sense it might actually happen. And that's almost making them kind of, you know, struggle to breathe, mm. I think. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I think uh, I'm going to thoroughly enjoy France versus Belgium. It's mm. going to be entertaining. It's going to be some beautiful football, I'm sure. And I don't know if I'm going to enjoy Croatia, England. <laughs> I might be. Will you go for a long walk instead? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> it's and, coming home. Oh, God. <laughs> We're joined now by Eno Reardon, our athletics correspondent. Uh, the European Under-18 Championships were on in Hungary over the weekend. And Ireland had a terrific weekend. We had Rashadat Adeliki's gold in the 200 metres, Sophie O'Sullivan silver in the 800 metres, Sarah Healy getting goals in the 3,000 and 1,500. Ian, did we become an, an athletic superpower in the space of a week? <laughs> I hope so. Um, but no, uh, of course, by that. And one of the things I've been saying, even before the championship started on Thursday, was that... Uh, you know, you, you kind of you kind of build them up and you and you, and you build them down at the same time. If that makes if that makes sense, because of course, uh, you know, on under eighteen championships, like nobody expects this to be any guarantee of any sort of success at a senior level. Level. Um, I mean, you basically talk about a minor grade in GA or or kind of schools rugby levels. So there's a long way to go before these this success transfers to to the senior stage. But at the same time. Um, the success we had over the weekend, three gold medals and a silver, uh, certainly, certainly the, the most successful junior team we've or under eighteen team we've ever had. Um, I mean, led, led the way obviously by Sarah Healy, seventeen year old from from South Dublin in, in Monkstown, and you know she did probably the hardest double of all, which is the fifteen hundred meters, three thousand meters double. Um, so that's like including a heat of the fifteen hundred meters, by the way. And it wasn't just the fact that she won them, but the way she won them. I mean, she literally. I hate that word destroyed, but destroyed the opposition. Um, she ran the 3,000 metres, kind of bided her time, and then hit the front, maybe sort of sort of um, um, two and a half laps from home, and, and ran away with that, as you used to say. 
and then she came out last night in, in the 1500 meters and kind of bided her time for the first lap and they just took off like literally took off and the rest of the field were sprung out behind her and um, and the times they're running I mean she's already run a 409 1500 meters this year which which believe me is not far off what I was running at that age so maybe they, 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 the times are right up there um, Sophia Sullivan in the 800 meters now I, I think I don't think Sophie needs any introduction but this is obviously Sonia's daughter it was her first time running for Ireland at any level and um, I think you know there's a lot of pressure on her she came out and ran brilliantly brilliantly as well to, to win a silver medal in the 800 meters and again her time like 206 is, is, is serious running for a uh, or 16, 17 year old. The victory that the, the winner there was two oh four. These times are are really good. And then and then last but not least, as you said, Rashid uh, Rashid Adeleke, who's from from Tala AC, runs runs with them um, again a Dublin club, and she won the two hundred meters in twenty three point five two seconds, which again is it was a personal best for her. And she's only fifteen, so she's got another two years actually at that, that under eighteen level. And um, so all around, as I say, the performances were. You know, high quality, very, very convincing wins, and a lot of very good times. But, but with the with the sort of the uh, the very large asterisk to say, look, there's, there's a long way to go before you you can transfer this to senior success, especially in track and field athletics, whereby so many obstacles and barriers, and you know, injury and overtraining, and do they go to America and facilities, and all that kind of stuff comes into the mix. It's not like you know, if you're a good football player or soccer player, you know, you join a club and there's a kind of a pathway to success. In track and field, it's it's a lot more dare I say, treacherous. Um, but all things considered, yeah, it will certainly go down as a, as, a, as a very exciting weekend for Irish athletics. And Ian, I, I saw you writing about that, like you talked about success at this level being kind of a stepping stone and so we should ease off on the expectations because it's, I suppose, such a big leap to kind of replicating that at senior level. But but I suppose at the same time, it's hard not to be excited about the potential of, of, of these runners. I mean, and the confidence too. I, that's what struck me most, I think, about Sarah Healy, just the absolute confidence in her races, you know. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. And I suppose there's two things you look for in that case. And number one, there is the, obviously there is the, the physical athletic talent, you know, the, the sort of the, you know, the way they run, how they run their style, all that kind of thing. And then secondly, it's the, I suppose, kind of the mental talent or the psychological or how they carry themselves and listening to Sarah Healy. Like, she, she genuinely is mature beyond her years. She's got a very good coach in Owen Marnell down in Blackrock AC, and they're very sensible. Like, she doesn't train very much. And by the way, equally good at hockey. She's a very good hockey player. And, right. and yeah, you probably know, she's, I think she's, I think she's a, definitely a, an underage international at some point. Still plays mm-hmm. hockey over the winter and kind of mixes up that, mixes up that, uh, that the sports, which is which is very important, and Gaelic football with Kula as well, isn't right? Yep. Yeah, I think, I think so. Like that's, mm. that's that's again, that's a, that's a really good sign. Whereas, you know, if she'd been kind of running a hundred miles a week from the age of twelve, it'd be kind of going, uh oh, this this is this, that's a bit of a warning sign. But it, it's actually quite the opposite. There seems to be a very balanced approach here. And there again, they're the kind of things that, like even Sonia Sullivan was talking about her own daughter Sophie, who likes to do the high jump as well. Now I'm not quite sure. Sonia is, is, is overly enthusiastic about the high jump, but anyway, <laughs> that's, that's the point being that they're not just a sort of, you know, intense sort of pushy parents kind of mm-hmm. scenario. There seems to be a nice relaxed attitude, and and I mentioned Adelaide as well from from uh, from Tala. I mean, she's been she's been coming up through the school ranks all along, and just keeps getting better and better. So they're all, the graph seems to be improving all the time, and it's not like they kind of, you know, they they kind of ran these times sort of um, out of the blue. They're kind of improving all the time as well. There's a real steady graph of, 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 of progress there. But again, early days, I think if you look at the sport of athletics, and I've been saying this for years, it's got this weird way of kind of recycling itself. I mean, we, you think back to the, the Tracy's, the Cochrane's, and then it was a bit of a lull, and then you had 
Sonia and Katrina and Durville and all those. And they could, then there was another law. But I think there's definitely a new generation coming along now. And these, these, these names, we're gonna, we will hear more about these names. There's no doubt about that. Now, whether it's the Tokyo Olympics or European Championships in three or four years, these names are definitely names for the future. And I think that's, that's, of course, that's exciting, yeah. There was actually another medal, Ian, that arguably slightly got away from us over the weekend. Patience Jumbagula, she ran, ran the fastest 100-metre time of the week, but not in the final. And she slightly underperformed in the final then. She's 15 as well, I think, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I, I was talking to someone during the week and I said, you were definitely going to win a medal in the sprints over in, in Gior. And I, and, but I got the wrong one because I actually thought Patience uh, Jumbagala would, would win the 100 metres. She got a really put bad start and she was the first person to admit, look, she just, it, it didn't happen for her. But you're absolutely right. She was the fastest in that race. Whereas Adelaide was probably, I think she was only ranked three or four going into the final, but pulled out a personal best to win. And that's, again, that's what championship running is all about in terms of the, sometimes, you, sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And, um, and both those girls, by the way, that you know, absolutely came up through the Irish ranks, and you know, they're very much a product of the Irish athletic system. And they would, they will be, they will be the new face of Irish athletics for sure. Because I think if you think back to Irish sprinting, with the possible exception of a Dervla Rourke, of course, like we, we, we wouldn't exactly be superpowers when it came to sprinting. It is interesting, actually. The makeup of the team would we'll say Jamagula was born in Dublin to Nigerian parents. Then you have Sophia Sullivan, who was born in Australia, but obviously has quite a famous Irish mother. Like the team really does reflect the diversity that's common in Ireland at the moment, doesn't it? Exactly, Pat. Yeah, and I think that's that's that, that's 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 only a good thing. That's only a positive thing when you think about the way Ireland has changed in the last 20, 10, 20 years. And and by the way, this this kind of this new face of Irish athletics kind of broke through last summer with uh, with Gina Apke Moses, who who was the reigning European champion, and she's now running this week at the World Junior Championships up in up in Finland, which is obviously a much higher level. Um, she's kicked on again and. Uh, she was actually born in Nigeria, but moved moved here when she was three years old. Lived in Dundalk, and again came up through the Irish athletic system. and And that's like that's the exciting part. Like these, you know, these have just these athletes didn't just arrive in here last week or last year. Like they're very much product of the Irish athletic system, and they're 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 bringing sprinting on. Like they're kind of they're raising the bar, raising the standards. And that was the one thing. And again, I say this for kind of the kind of the cheerleading hat on and off. Like that was a great thing about the weekend. There seems to be a great team atmosphere, and everyone seems to be inspiring each other on. And that's we see that in any sport, whether it's you know rugby or or whatever whatever G A team, like success breeds success, and I think that's the exciting thing as well. That it seems to be a nice blend of athletes coming through now, and you need that because athletics can be a very lonely sport. It can be extremely sort of like a challenging to sort of stay motivated. But if you've got athletes succeeding around you, it makes that job it makes that job a whole lot easier. To be honest, I think I saw Sonia mention that that it was Sophie's first time with the team and that. They integrated her very nicely into it. That they all got on, knew each other from previous meetings, and they brought her into the into the group. Yeah, and again, I go I go back to my original point about talking this up and talking this down at the same time. But overall, if you look at the championships in in Hungary over the last few days, like the the, the, the quality of times have been have been very very impressive. Like this 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 is not like you know this this is kind of almost surpassing what I'd expect athletes to be running at that age. And, like, they're not far off senior level. I mean, like, like for example, Sarah Healy has already qualified for the European Senior Championships next month in Berlin. Now, she's not going to run, again, sensibly. Your coach is saying, no, we're not going to send a, a 17-year-old to a senior championship. But they're the kind of times they're running. Like, they are world, they are essentially senior class times. And, um, you know, if that, was a, if that was a tennis player or a golfer who was competing at that level of, of competition, you'd definitely be taking notice. And I think that's why there's no denying that these have been exceptional performances that we've seen and um, you know I think I think certainly 
the way the way Sarah Healy ran those two races, I don't I, I don't think I've ever seen any Irish athlete dominate that, including Sonia Sullivan at her peak, because it was almost like she could have won this race any way she wanted to. She probably could have had a, a stop to have a stretch at the last at the last lap if she wanted to. But um, but look, we'll see. And I think again, it goes back to my original point that it's not just it's not just the way they're winning medals, but it's the performances, it's the the dynamic of the team, and all of that. Which I think certainly I, I don't I don't think Irish athletes have had that for a long time. Excellent. The future is bright. Um, it's, Ian, it's certainly gold at the moment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, thanks a million for joining us. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. We're joined now by our GA correspondent, Sean Moore, who was in Thurlis yesterday for the Leinster Hurling final. Sean, Galway won this game by 29 scores to 18. They pretty much dominated. Kilkenny got three quite fortunate goals to stay in it. But they kept the game exciting. It's a hard game to exactly sum up. How did you judge it? I think it was really good news for Galway. The fact that they retained their Leinster title. But also, uh, they did what a lot of people thought they would do last week, which was really confirm their status as the All-Ireland frontrunners. Um, they have had this mental baggage with Kilkenny, which, which meant that a match against because they never got to play them last year and although there's no evidence to suggest that Kilkenny would have beaten them last year it's still there it's, it's kind of hanging out there and I think after the match ended in a draw just reawakened some question marks about uh, Galway and they got the opportunity to answer them all emphatically y- yesterday if they'd simply run away with it as it looked likely you know, when they went 12 points ahead uh, after half an hour. Um, it would have been almost a, a bloodless coup, but the fact that Kilkenny did manage to come back at them meant they were really put to the pin in their collar to mm-hmm. win that match, to win it at all, let alone win it convincingly. So I'm, I'd say Galway are, are very pleased with both the outcome and the manner in which it was achieved. That they had to win the game twice. They had to win them, but they had to win it twice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that they got big performances out of their big players in a way that they conspicuously hadn't previous week they, uh, they were incredibly consistent across the team they basically got eights and nines from every player in their team yeah that, that, that was one of the comments that was circulating afterwards was that if you if you added up the individual player ratings that Galway's would have dwarfed Kilkenny's and yes there was only a point in that match uh, with 15 minutes left uh, so um, it was a it was it was a complete inversion of the previous week because the previous week you could you could make an argument that only Dahi Burke played well for, for Galway that um, even other players like Niall Burke Park Mannion and that were, were fitful in and out of the match whereas yesterday they nearly all played well yes, it's hard to think of it anyway Colin Mannion probably was a ten really yesterday wasn't he yeah he was he was spectacularly good and he's just his his, his shooting. Um, you know, and when a match is in full flow and their scores zipping over, you're you're just about registering mm-hmm. them. But you know, when you look back at, at some of them, I mean, geez, he hit a point from his own sixty-five, really, just over the over the bar, and uh, he was hitting them from from you know long range, from out wide positions, and uh, it just the ability to keep that scoring. Going and making the point that, in fact, uh, Galway came within five points of of equaling the combined total of you know, right, last yeah. week's uh, last week's draw. Uh, their, their, their 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 shooting was was excellent, and they posed such a variety of, of threats to Kilkenny. And yeah, as you're right, it was I mean, 
three fortunate goals, two of which arguably you know, shouldn't have been allowed, uh, kept Kilkenny in touch. But um, in the aftermath of it all, I'm sure Go were probably glad enough of, of that test, that, that the scale of the test. Galway have an interesting setup. Like, like you said, their forwards are superb. They scored 128 yesterday. So what I'm about to say is not me calling them a defensive team, but they really do get men back behind the ball. Yeah. Was that probably more evident in the stadium than it was in television? They they often get like twelve people behind the ball. Yeah, it's not unusual to you know to see the, the aforementioned Carl Mannion uh, you know, back in his, his own defence, um, and they do. They're a very fluid team. Like they, they move up and down the field, but they do have. I suppose they have such a good outlet in terms of their aerial ability that mm. you don't need always need six of them up front to. To, to, to clear it up to the forwards and, and, and make it stick. So, uh, But I think what was noticeable yesterday was that the one area where they were surprisingly battered last week was uh, under a high ball. Uh, and yesterday it was just noticeable in the opening exchanges. They won everything, everything that was in the air. They, they, they pulled down and uh, the halfbacks were exceptional yesterday as well, uh, particularly in those, in those early stages. And Kilkenny were just denied any sort of a foothold in the match. I mean, it, it went to, it was, I think, I think it was 1-9 to a point, uh, you know, before Kilkenny got their, their, their second score. So the, the pattern of the match had been set, you know, that basically it was going to take one of these um, miracle comebacks from Kilkenny. But Kilkenny, even in their current form, which is obvious transitional and all the rest, still posts some extraordinary recoveries in matches. Mm. Just think about it yesterday. You know, nine points against Wexford. That, that one yesterday where they come back and yet they don't quite make it in the match. And they did that in the league against Clare as well, like uh, overhauling, like huge deficits, nearly getting there and then losing out in, in the end. I think Brian Cody made the point afterwards that if you chase down a 12-point lead and you know, shave it down to to a point, you're probably not going to have a lot left in the tank after that happens. And they were, you know, they were they were outscored, I think, was it eight points to two or something from from the moment that they brought the score back to a one-point game. So uh, uh, it, 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 it's, it, it is... Uh, it is remarkable that they they they, they, they managed to, to do that in in a match where you know from a very early stage you knew that you know barring an, an extraordinary upset they, they were going no, they were hardly going to win it. It's a harsh uh, prize that they're getting out of this now to be out again next week against Limerick. Yeah, that's and particularly with what we know from the round robin provincial championships about the teams on their third successive week out. Mm. Um, have all found it hard to perform and coincidentally Kilkenny's third week out in Leinster was against Galway and Salt Hill and that after the drawn match in Croke Park last week has been factored in that maybe Kilkenny were a little artificially weakened when they played Galway the first time and maybe that explained the you know the 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 the, the, the convergence of the teams in the drawn uh, final but they're going to have to do it again uh, next week there's not much you can do about it I think once draws enter the the, the equation um you can't really, uh, you know, you're going to run into scheduling difficulties. Now, they're they're running into it now. And uh, Brian Cody was kind of talking up their, their their fitness, their conditioning and everything. But it's going to be a challenge because Limerick are so well rested after their own uh, third weekend performance down in Ennis. Um, they rested for a couple of weeks, had a, what you might characterize as a lightish run out against Carlo on, on Saturday. And the... That'll be a big challenge now for, for Kilkenny to get themselves recovered and 
back in order for a match against a Limerick team that for a lot of the early part of the championship were identified as likely contenders. Well, I was struck by a quote that Brian Cody came out with after the match. He um, he was asked about you know what they said at halftime to facilitate the turnaround. And his comment was, there was nothing fantastic said in the dressing room or anything like that, but the response of our players was magnificent in the second half against the best team in the country. Mm. I don't think I've ever heard Brian Cody short of maybe after an All-Ireland final that they've lost, ever come out and crown another team as being the best team in the country. It's interesting to hear him yeah, say that. Yeah, I think, did he say something similar after the match in Salt Hill as well? When, did he? When they were beaten? I, I think he might have. I couldn't swear to it. But uh, yeah, I, I, he would always have had a tendency to, to talk up opposition. Uh, now, admittedly, in the... In the good old days, it I don't was, know if you ever believed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, in, the, in the good old days, it always seemed a bit kind of preposterous. Some, you know, after with the with, with the opponent's body on a slab to be saying <laughs> yeah. how, how dangerous they'd been. Uh, but in this case, it'd be hard to argue with him, really. You know, I mean, Galway have come through some, I suppose, slightly questionable phases this year. Poor league, um, uh, an efficient. Provincial round robin, and then the kind of the scare of the uh, of the provincial final. But at the moment, you'd say the where they are now is back in where where they've been in a lot of people's minds since winning last September as you know the clear front runners in the, in the championship. And they've arguably deepened the panel even since last year. They seem to have so many options to come off the bench, like to, to yeah. Although it's games. a funny thing about it, though, Pat, is that if you look back at teams that came up short against Kilkenny, uh, you know, as recently as say 2015, like a lot of the same players involved. Now I know they're just they're older, more experienced, and and warier after their after you know what they went through then, and obviously the type of Kilkenny team they're playing isn't as, as strong as it was at that at that point, uh, but. They they have, um, but they've tweaked that system. We'll say like they they've moved Dahi Burke to fullback and moved Gary oh, yeah, McInerney yeah. to centre back to to yeah. spine that team really, haven't they? Well, that was the big. I think that was probably the big uh, tactical adjustment last year that was made was to actually find because there've been I think since since 1988 there've been question marks over Galway at you know down the centre, fullback, centre back, centre field, and so on up and uh, you know for a long time there was only one Joe Canning. Couldn't kind of fit into all of these positions, uh, and what, what happened last year was that they they really they really found solutions to both fullback and, and centre back. And you'd have to say, I mean, I, I wonder whether Dahi Burke has benefited from the fact that he he basically after the after the the, the All Ireland final last September. Played football, you know, with Corrafin and went all the way, won an All Ireland, another All Ireland medal with with them uh, in, in the club championship, uh, and then came into it. Whether he might be a little fresher than than the others, because he would miss a lot of the league. Um, but but he's been outstanding for them, even last week when so many of them were underperforming. He was right on his game. Can you see anybody stopping them? Not from what we've seen so far. Um, I think Nicky English is making the point in the, his column today, his analysis of it, that in the past we've 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 tended to take a bit of a deep breath when the provincial champions are crowned because they've got they used to have this kind of six week wait for the semi-finals and you'd have a kind of a, a toughened practiced side coming through the qualifiers to play the provincial champions. And certainly the Munster champions have a horrific record in all Ireland semi-finals over the last 10, 12 years. But he was making the point that under the current system, 
it's actually far more beneficial. I mean, the, the, the benefit for Galway in winning yesterday is a three-week rest after two really hard matches in hot weather, and uh, and then they'll get to play, you know, a, a quarter finalist. Whereas, you know, for Kilkenny losing yesterday, condemned to another uh, another hot afternoon within a week uh, to try and get to that same point into the into the last four. So uh, I think possibly. You know, Cork have been flying a bit under the radar. They're unbeaten, mm. um, like Galway, and they're in the semi-final. They're Munster champions last year. They fell prey to the, the curse of Munster champions and got uh, turned over by Waterford. But they have that experience under their belt now. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they go because, uh, you know, they, they, they will have learned the lessons of, of what happened to them last year. And as I say, they too are unbeaten. There you go. Football's coming home and hurling's going west. Um, great. Thanks for that, Sean. We'll That's be up. talking to you soon. That's it for today. Thanks to Emmett for joining us from Kazan. Thanks to Ian for chatting athletics with us. Thanks to Sean uh, for talking about the Leinster Hurling final with us. Thanks to Declan on the desk. Mary Hannigan, thank you very much. Thank you, Pat. Happy World Cup Climax Week. Yeah, I know. It's it's sad that it's over now, isn't it? What do we do with ourselves next I don't week? know. Well, we'll have the Super 8s. Oh. Yeah. There that, you go. That, that's going to keep us going. That's going to sustain us. I'm sure we'll find something to talk about next Monday anyway. We we'll, we'll talk to you then. Yeah.